Good evening, you alright? Not at all sure, are you? Please turn to the person beside you and say, I'm still alive. Great. So there's a question going up on question going up on the screens, and I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes just to chat to your neighbour about this question. What is church for? You've got about a minute to come up with an answer. Off you go. Okay, so I wonder what you I wonder what you say. There's lots of ways of answering those questions. I went to Vicar Factory for a couple of years, and then I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I don't have any idea really what the answer is to that question in an easy, simple way. But um, three things that the, the Bible, God's Word, when God's speaking to us, you know, we know, we believe, don't we, that God, through the Holy Spirit, God spoke into the people who, who wrote the Bible for us, inspired its writing, and then the Holy Spirit inspires uh, inspires it as we read it now. There's a wonderful echo on my voice. This is great. I feel like Simon somebody on X something. Shows how with it I am. There you go. Um, I'm really old, basically, but I'm okay. Um, anyway, the Bible says kind of three, three things that are really helpful when you're trying to talk about church. And here they are. They're on a, they're on a slide for us. So the Bible talks about church being being family. So there's lots of other things I could, I could say, I could have put up there. So one of the things Jesus says is that we are his body. We're the body of Christ. We're the, the body of, of Jesus. That's a weird thing maybe to think about, but it's an image that God gives to us. It's, it's an image that the Bible writers give to us. And, and what's really significant about it is that every single one of us matters in this body. You know, when a guy called Paul, who was one of Jesus' first followers, many of us know, and he wrote lots of the letters that we have in the second halves of our Bibles, the New Testament, when he was writing to new Christians, he was writing to new churches, he, he kept on saying to them, he wanted them to know how every single one of them mattered. And this, this image of the body, the body of Christ, this relationship is that every single one of us matters. So he said, you know, if you're an ear, you really matter. If you're an eye, you matter. If you're a spleen, I know who you are, don't worry, but I won't say it out loud. You matter. And so that, that means that every single person in this room matters to what God wants to, to, to be doing. And, and we're called family. We're told we're family. And that's, that's why, that explains why some of the things that we do as church don't always make sense to people who want us to be something other than a family. They want us to be kind of like a voluntary organization, or they want us to be kind of like a business, or they want us to be, well, they want us to be something that's different to being a family. And when you're family, you have to do things. You love each other in a way, and you, you treat each other in a way that is family. You, you put up with certain things. You forgive in a different way. We're told in, in the Bible, the, the Bible tells us God says, be devoted to one another. There are lots of one another's in the Bible. It says, be devoted to one another. Love each one another as a family. And again, here's a message for anyone who feels, hmm, maybe I don't count. Maybe God doesn't see me. The Bible says that every single one in the family is loved and matters. And if anyone is hurting, then the whole family is hurting. 
Some of you know we've got a daughter, Naomi, who's travelling. She's a couple of months away. She's in New Zealand. She won't mind me saying, well, sorry, darling, if you do mind me saying, watching now, but you're a long way away and you're probably asleep. <laughs> she was in tears on the phone. She said, you know, she said, it's the best of times and it's also the hardest of times that we're going through at the moment. And when she's crying, when my daughter cries, I cry as well. When one bit of the family hurts, everyone in the family hurts. So that's one of the images that, that the Bible gives us for who we're called to be as church. Not a, not a building, we know that, not an organization, not a, not a charity, not a, we are those things, but we're fundamentally to be loving one another as family. I don't know, are you, are you one of the people who feels a bit lonely? You've got loads of friends on Facebook, but you don't actually really have any friends. You know, are you here tonight and you think, no one really sees me, actually? If they knew what I was thinking, if they really knew what was going on in my heart, well, wow, they would. Well, God says, I see you. I see you. I know you. I already know all that stuff that's in your heart. And I love you. I love you so much that I came down onto earth and I took on human form. I was called Jesus. And I walked and I talked and I cried and I laughed and I ate and I made friends with people and I lived out to show them what it's like to be in relationship with God. And then I died on the cross. I let them nail me to a cross because I love you. And if you were the only one, I would have done it. And I know you know, Jesus says, God says, I know you don't know how it works, and I know you can't explain it exactly, but it works. I love you. And then as we've just celebrated at Easter, three days later, he came alive again because death did not have the final word. Anything that we might think might have the final word. Any way that we might be tempted to sort of limit ourselves to, to say, well, this is my life. This is as much as going to... God says no. God says no. There is no limit. Not even death is the end. And Jesus rose again. And he gives us life. Love. Family. Second thing the Bible says, if we put the slide back up, the second thing says that church is actually meant to be a place of learning. It's a family of learning, a, a community of learning. We're meant to be on a road with Jesus. We're meant to be growing. I'm 55 years old. I've still got plenty of time to learn more about Jesus. Every time I say to God, I say to God, I have absolutely no idea what to do as a husband, or I've got no idea what to do as a father of two daughters, or I say, I've got no idea what to do as the lead pastor of Trinity Cheltenham, by the way, it is in that order, and it's very frequent. God looks at me and says, Andrew, good, good, because if you know you don't know what to do, then I can show you. I can show you. You can be useful to me. Because you're going to say, God, I need you. I need to learn. Now, there's some Christians who are like old cheese. You know, they're just maturing and getting smellier. 
Turn to the person beside you and just smell them. Do they smell of old cheese? I'm just feeling there's a little bit too much agreement with that. Friends, we're not meant to mature like old cheese. We are meant to mature, well, more like a fine wine. What I mean by that is that a fine wine has more flavor coming out of it. It grows, it gets better and better and better. And as Christians, we're called to mature. When Paul, the guy I mentioned before, was writing a letter that I'm going to read from in a moment to a group of people in a place called Ephesus, which, by the way, was just as complicated as anywhere we might like to go in the world right now in terms of what people believed. He said to them, he said, you guys together in community are meant to be equipping each other and maturing He forgot to put, not like a cheese, but like a fine bottle of wine, but that's what he meant. So are you maturing? Are there any old cheeses in the room? And God is wanting to say to you, come on, come on. What are you going to learn? And then the third one, if we put that slide back up just very quickly, the third one is mission. We are the sent ones. We're the sent ones. So we're, we're on mission together. And it's not my job to do mission. Being a full-time minister is to take a step back out of the real world. Sometimes we have this really silly idea, which, by the way, ordained ministers pander to, that somehow this is the pinnacle. You guys are the front line. You guys are doing the stuff. You are the ministers of God's church And it's my job, bottom of the pile, to serve you. You're on a mission. You know, I am so sad I have hardly any friends, full stop. I certainly find it hard to have uh, non-Christian friends, not yet. Followers of Jesus. I find that really hard. Because I have to spend all my time talking to Christians. Which is really horrible sometimes, but... But, but you are perfectly shaped. You know, you've got loads of friends. You've got people you're going to work with tomorrow. You're going to be at college with. You're going to be at school with. You're going to be at the school gate with. You're going to be um, at the armory gym. Clearly a space that I won't be in. But you'll be there. And you've got your personality and not mine. And that's a really good thing. So you can be great at being you. And God just wants you to be you. He wants you to be the fullest, wonderful expression of you. And then he wants you to, well, do something. Let's read. Let's read what the guy Paul said to the people in Ephesians. He said, for this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. That was all the people who were living in the world then who weren't the Jews. Surely you have heard about the administration, I'll come back to that, of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. 
In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Now, of course, Paul, you'll have got, is talking about himself and the job that God gave him. But it's really clear that he's also saying to these Ephesians, and he's saying to us, this is you as well. This is your purpose. This is your job. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That might sound an odd thing to say. Would you like to go in tomorrow to anyone and say, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ? But what he means by that is I am captured by Jesus Christ. I'm caught by the love of God in Jesus Christ. And when, when people look at me, says Paul, and when people look at us, the church, I'd like them to see people who are captured by, caught up by the love of God in Jesus Christ. When he says, I've been given the administration of this mystery, what, what the Greek, the original language it was written in, is not saying I was given a really important you know, kind of authority. It means I was given this calling, this powerful work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the love of God. And when he uses that word mystery, what he's saying is not that you, you can't understand it. He's just saying it's bigger than anything you can possibly kind of think about. It's more glorious. It's more wonderful than anything you can possibly imagine. He talks about the, uh, the, um, the unknowable wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. And it's, the image is like a diamond. You take a beautiful diamond and you turn it around and it sparkles. Every, every time you look at it, you look at it, and there's another thing to see. He, he, 
makes that clear with a little bit which I'm just going to read for you beyond the bit I've just read there. It's Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14. For this reason, it's a prayer he makes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth, that's us, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God, to come and work right into your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, that's us, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This is what we're for. We're we're for being caught up in this kind of love. We're we're for being captured by this Jesus that we've been singing about tonight. Captured by his heart for us, by his love for us. And then to live that out and show that to other people. To to say to anyone we're going to meet tomorrow who's, who's, who's sad or lonely... Or or trying to make sense of life. Doesn't know what to do. What's the point of my life? Where am I going? How do I make this decision? Who's in a relationship which isn't going well? Who's who's wherever? It's to say, look at this love. It's for you. I am part of it. And so are you. Not because of what I've done, because of what God has done. That's what we're for. Not to smell like old cheese, not actually to smell like a fine wine, but to smell like Jesus. Why don't you smell the person beside you? Do they smell like Jesus? I smell of all kinds of things. (laughs) I know that. I want to smell more like Jesus. I I want to be captured by his love in a way that means that the people I meet will sense something of him. And that's what I want this church to be. I want this church to be overflowing with the love of God to others. Do you know that 97% of the people out there have no knowledge, probably no connection with the church and no knowledge of this Jesus? They have no real knowledge of this love that is beyond any measure. And guess what? You got the job. 
Not me. Because I'm pretty limited in what I can do. You got the job. Where are we going to start? I don't live in this real world. You live in the real world where people tell you that your faith is irrelevant. You live in a world where you're told you're not allowed to bring your faith into conversations about the workplace. You live in a world that that, uh, uh, really amplifies interfaith in the sense of let's just blend all faiths together rather than honours multi-faith in the sense of recognising there's difference. You also live in a world of business, you live in a world of phones, you live in a world where the first thing you look at the morning is the phone and maybe not the Bible, unless your Bible is on the phone, forgive me if that's what you're doing. But you see, I don't, so. Maybe it will be a technique, can we put my little card up, uh, Hudson, get out of hell, free card, look at that. I found this on the internet, I've printed off a load for you to take away tonight. So you can pass it to people tomorrow. Get out of hell free. This card can be kept until needed or sold, I like. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that we're a family. Scripture says that we love each other. Scripture says that we're a learning community as well as this missionary community. And so if I can just pop the next slide up. So in scripture, what happens is that Andrew brought his brother to meet Jesus. A guy called Philip told his friend Nathaniel. A Samaritan woman went and told her whole village about this Jesus. Levi invited his colleagues. The Philippian jailer, a jailer in a a place called Philippi, shared with his whole house household it's not techniques it's not clever stuff it's just being us it's just being friends with people As a a church, we have a calling to be what's called a resource church. We have a a calling to do some big things to plant some new churches and we're going to do that and that's going to be great and I've got no no, uh, question that God is going to use that to reach out to more people. The diocese is talking to something, uh, to about us to something massive to do with youth. I'm really excited about that. But it starts with us. It starts with us and our relationships. It starts with us wanting to smell like Jesus, be like Jesus. And you see, here's the strategy. Can we put the going greener up? I'm wanting to ask you to grow greener. Now, by the way, I do know that grow green is not something you should say to a policeman. I'm not advocating to go and grow green, okay? But I would like you to grow greener. What do I mean by that? Next one, please, Hudson. You see, I think a lot of people split their world up into two coloured circles. There's a yellow circle, which is kind of when I can really be a Christian, when I can really have my faith. And then there's blue, there's the out there world. But God doesn't see separate yellow and blue. God only sees, next slide, green. Because if you mix blue and yellow, you get green. This is good, isn't it? This is really good. I should write a book. I'm going to write a book. God only sees, Jesus only sees integration. He sees us in Christ joined together. A guy called Billy Graham, who was a really famous and well-known guy for sharing stuff about Jesus, said, the Bible's people are reading, the sermons the world is heeding. 
is us. That's a bit. The Bibles people are reading, the sermons that actual people heed. Sad to say, your friends tomorrow at work, at school, are not going to be rushing to watch this video online. But they might talk to you. So being greener, I think, is just about being intentional in being good neighbours, in having tactical dinner parties. You know, you have a few friends around, and a few of them are Christian, and a few are not. I think it's in a life group, you're doing stuff that your mates might want to come to you rather than things you want to do yourself. I think it's also about being kingdom entrepreneurs. I think being greener is actually saying, I would like to contribute to the conversation in my company about our ethics and our values. Because good values and good ethics actually equals good business. And yeah, I'm saying that from a faith perspective, but that will resonate with others. A guy called J. John, who some of us will know is really good on thinking about faith sharing and thinking about relationships, says start with what he describes as your Jerusalem because some of us know that when Jesus was commissioning the first disciples, when he was saying go and share the good news, he said start with Jerusalem by which he meant start with the people closest to you. And if we put the slide up, Hudson. J. John says you can think about your kin, your family circles. How could you be greener? How could you make that space where faith and real life just fluidly flow? He talks about your network, your neighbours, your work colleagues. And then talks about interest groups. You know, if you play golf or you do go to the armoury gym. I think God is trying to say something to me about going to the gym. I really do. It's really worrying. What's it called? Legs, bums and tums. Yeah, I've got all the legs, bums and tums to occupy the armory gym. By the way, other gyms are available, but there's one local to here next door in the church. What does it mean to be green in those spaces, I wonder? You see, because it works like this. Can we show my little slide? It works like this. It's God's job... And only God's job to actually change people's hearts. That is not our responsibility. It, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. So we do not need to feel the pressure of trying to do it. But we can build relationships with people. And if we build good relationships with people, then we may earn their respect. Because they may see us living as followers of Jesus Christ and smelling like Jesus and being like Jesus in a way which causes them to want to ask some questions. And if we gain people's respect, then they maybe be, will begin to see the relevance of the faith that we say we have to real life. And if they do that, then they may be interested in opportunities to respond. 
J. John, this evangelist, uses the image of an orchard. And he says, the problem is loads of Christians are going through an orchard full of apple trees. And they're going up to loads of apples which are not yet ripe. And they're trying to tug them off the tree when they're doing evangelism. You've got to come to Alpha! And J.J. says, no. Walk around looking for the ripe fruit. And it will just come into your hand. You build a relationship with someone. They begin to respect some of the things that you believe and why you believe them. They begin to ask you questions about relevance. They begin to think this could make a difference to my life as well. And then they may be interested in opportunities to respond. So would you like to be a bit greener? Are you willing to be a bit greener? Could we be a church this year that has a thousand barbecues? Well, that's really hard work, isn't it? I mean, what a dreadful task. What a dreadful task to have to have a barbecue. Yeah? Could we be a church that would clear up people's homes and streets? Just for the sake of doing that, because that's good, because God is into the whole of all things, everything. Could we be a church of people known for great conversation? Someone this morning, after this morning's service, came up to me and said, Andrew, are you saying that I can go and play snooker at my pub once a week to have conversations with people about Jesus? I said, absolutely yes. Can I come with you? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Smelling like Jesus in snooker clubs. You heard it here first. So I've given you a post-it note. Ah, it's good this, isn't it? Yellow and blue make green and he's given us a green post-it note. Oh, so you could stick this on your fridge or your forehead so that when you look in the mirror tomorrow, you remember to be more green. You could write an idea on here. You could write something you would do. Or you could write who you're going to pray for at the very least. So my next slide with a Billy Graham quote as well. It does start with prayer, doesn't it? Prayer changes us, our hearts, as well as changing the atmosphere, changing the world. Prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against him. No matter how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's spirit prepares the way. As a church family, like many others across the country, we're going to be taking part in a thing called Thy Kingdom Come, which runs for 10 days up to a festival that Christians celebrate called Pentecost. It's at the very beginning of June. And that's an initiative that's going around the world. We participated in it as a church the last couple of years. That's an an initiative based on praying for people to come to know the love of Jesus. And one of the things that Thy Kingdom Come does, and you might want to use this slip for, is encourage to choose five names of people to write And to pray for people you could be green with. 
Does that sound too difficult? I hope not. I hope it, though, really more than anything else, sounds sounds necessary. Sounds like it matters. Sounds like there are your friends and mine who don't know how much God loves them and how much he wants to be in relationship with them. With them. If you're able to, would you like to stand? I'd like to uh, dare to take just uh, a very few more minutes of your, of your life, if that's okay, to pray. And I'm going to first of all pray for anyone here who doesn't know, doesn't actually really know if they've ever said, yes, God, yes. I do believe that Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And I believe that because of that, you can take away anything in my life that is a, is a barrier between me and God and, and therefore would be a barrier between me and, and others as well. You may know that as Christians, we call that, we, we use the word sin to sum that up. And then I'm going to invite you to pray. So Jesus, I'd like to start following you. I'd like you to fill me up with this mystery, this immeasurable love. I'd like you to show me who I am. I'd like to grow more like you, Jesus. Now, it's a big decision. It's, it's not one to, for a moment, feel forced into. That's stupid. That's foolish, isn't it? God doesn't need to do that. It's also a decision that you have to just be you have to be aware of the significance of it. It's, it's, not, it's not something to say lightly. It's not difficult in the sense of you need to have clever words. You certainly don't need to understand. I don't understand, and I've been a Christian for a long, long time. I don't understand exactly how the cross works. I don't. I don't understand lots of things about God. But I do know God. My Jesus, my Jesus, wants to be your Jesus as well. So here's a moment for anyone who wants to start. You can just pray after me if you want to. If you feel now as God, I'm inviting God to come. And if the Holy Spirit, you have a sense of God speaking to you and saying, yeah, this is what you've been wanting. This is what you've been wanting. You can say this prayer after me.
Dear God, I thank you that you see me. God, I I thank you that in Jesus you came to live on this earth. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you rose again to give me new life. I want now to turn away from anything in my life that has been wrong. I say sorry to you, God, for anything that is a barrier between us. And I turn now to you, Jesus. And I say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, God, fill me. Take me on a journey with you. Amen. If you've just prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you in a moment or two to do something about it right now. Don't let the moment go. But now I'd like to pray for any, um, any old cheeses in the room. I want to pray for anyone who knows that you've kind of not been maturing in a good way you've kind of got stuck on the back of the shelf or whatever you want to imagine this might mean you've not been walking you somehow you were walking but you've stopped or there's an area of your life where you're kind of just not giving it to God you're trying to say God you're God of everything 90% but here's this little bit well here's a prayer let's pray let's say Jesus Christ thank you that you gave everything for me and I now want to give everything of me back to you Holy Spirit I ask you to come and to fill me I ask you to lead me forward to walk with you Jesus Holy Spirit mature in me my understanding of your love And my desire to walk with you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. And if there is any particular area of your life where God is not at this moment God, you just can say, Jesus, in your name, I want to break the hold of dot, dot, dot on me. I declare that Jesus died on the cross for me and I belong to him.
And I ask you, Holy Spirit, come now and fill me. Give me the strength that I need to live out this prayer. And then here's the final prayer, a growing green prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come and just would you fill your people. Fill your people to be wonderfully, wonderfully bright, vivid green in every part of their lives. Wherever maybe we've tried to divide up life into different spaces, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring wholeness and integration? Would you bring things together? Would you strengthen people in their friendships, in their families, in their workplaces? Would you show people who want to be green how to be green? Would you set us free to have a thousand barbecues? At least. Holy Spirit, come. Let your church be your church. Let your church be filled with life. Let your church overflow with the love of Jesus. And bring people to you, God. Bring people to you, God, through us. Bring the lost. Bring the hurting to you, God. And please use us. Let me be useful to you, God. Let me serve you, God.